Well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at the church. So glad that you're here this morning. And it is hard to believe that it is already 2018, but yet here it is. And I'm sure because it's a new year, uh, there are a lot of you out there that are probably maybe setting some goals for this year, maybe starting uh, some resolutions for the year. And maybe you've already even started some of those. Uh, but before we get too carried away with our resolutions and our goals, I really think we need to examine our motivations. We need to examine why we are setting the goals that we're setting or we're starting the resolutions that we're starting. Because like that video said, we're all given labels, aren't we? We all live with labels in our lives. And labels, they they can be important. They can be really important. Can you imagine going grocery shopping if there are no labels? Can you imagine if you needed to buy some canned foods, you go down the canned food aisle, and it's just a long aisle with shelves and shelves of silver cans. That would make it kind of hard, wouldn't it? If you wanted a can of green beans and you would just be guessing and you get home and you open up and maybe it's a can of corn. So labels can be really important. And the the creators, the manufacturers of those products, they have the right to put those labels on their product. And thank goodness that they do to make it easy for us. But myself as a consumer or a shopper, I don't have a right to label that product. I haven't created it. I haven't produced it. I haven't manufactured it. So I don't have the right to label that product. And for us in our lives, sometimes there are people who feel like they have the right to label us. They feel like it's, it's, it's their job to label us. And so we're all given labels. Sometimes it's just by our society or our culture, right? What our culture thinks is cool or what our culture thinks is the way that we should be- believe, the way that we should be. Sometimes we're given labels by other people, people that are close to us, our friends and family. They call us names. They give us labels or neighbors, or coworkers, whatever it may be. Sometimes our labels come from ourselves because of our own insecurities or our own doubts and fears. So we create these labels that we live with ourselves. I know I've had labels in my life. I've certainly lived with them. I'm going to share some of them with you this morning. Uh, one of the first labels I lived with my, my life as, as a child growing up and even into my teenage years in through high school is that I was extremely shy. I was very, very shy. It's a little harder to believe now, but if you'd have told me as a kid and as a teenager that I would be getting up in front of people every week to either lead worship or to preach, I would have thought you were crazy. I would have laughed at you because of how painfully shy I was. And you can ask my wife, Heather, about that. I was very, very shy. So that was a label that I carried for much of my childhood, and I had to break through that. Another label that I was given is that I was a pastor's kid. I was a PK, right? That label comes with some thoughts of pastor's kids who are a little bit crazy, who maybe rebel from the church a little bit, who are a little bit wild. And so I had to break through that label, and I wasn't that typical pastor's kid. I was actually a good kid, which was another label that I was given. So now I was a good kid and a pastor's kid. Well, that came with certain expectations. Now I had to live up to these expectations as a good kid and a pastor's kid. Don't mess up. Don't make a mistake. Don't get a bad grade. Because this is my label. This is who I am. And so now I'm a a pastor. I'm a worship pastor. That comes with certain expectations. That's a label that comes with expectations. And so some of my labels are good, and and some of them are, are not as good. But they've certainly affected the way that I've lived my life. I've either tried to to prove myself, and I'm not limited to just that label that I carry, or I've tried to live up to that label because I felt like I had to and that it needed to affect the way I live my life. But one of the things that I've learned over time is that labels can be exhausting. Trying to live up to that label, 
trying to break through that label can be extremely exhausting. Labels can be hurtful. Things that people say about us, things that people say who we are, we think it defines us, and so it can be hurtful. Labels can lead to pridefulness. Maybe we like the label that we've received, and we find pride in that, uh, but in a negative way, and we become boastful about our label. And it, it can lead to insecurity and other sin as well. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at a story of a man who he had some labels in his life that he carried. Most of them were negative, but when he met Jesus, everything changed. And so if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 19. And we're going to look at the story of a man named Zacchaeus. And if you grew up in church, you're probably pretty familiar uh, with the story of Zacchaeus, because if you went to Sunday school, uh, you probably heard the story a million times, and I'm sure you still even maybe remember the song, right? Zacchaeus was a... A, was he, you guys just created a label for Zacchaeus, way to go, you just called him short, that was really nice of you guys, um, no, but we're going to look at this story of Zacchaeus, and we, we're probably going to dive a little deeper than maybe you did when you were in Sunday school growing up, and we're going to look at the fact that he carried uh, these labels, and it affected his life, but he was able to push through them once he met Jesus. And one of the things I want to do, and this is a little bit of a spoiler alert here, but I, I want to kind of give you the big idea for this sermon up front, the takeaway up front, because I want you to be able to um, think about this as we go through this story this morning. Um, so kind of the big idea this morning is the world may try to label you, but God created the world and only his label defines your true identity. The world may try to label you, but God created the world, and only his label defines your true identity. And so just remember that as we go through this time this morning. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later and unpack that as well. But let's begin reading in Luke chapter 19, verse 1. It's talking about Jesus. It says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. And so the setting for our story is, is the city of Jericho. Jericho was about 10 miles northeast of Jerusalem. And this was going to be Jesus' last major stop before he went on to Jerusalem with his disciples for Passover, which is where he would be betrayed and also sentenced to die on the cross. So this was his last stop before that. And now we first heard of Jericho in the Old Testament when it was destroyed by Joshua and the Israelites. Um, and then it was eventually given to the tribe of Benjamin when they were um, giving out the different areas of the promised land to each tribe. And so now several hundred years later in the New Testament, uh, the city had been rebuilt a little southeast of the, the ancient or the original uh, site. And now Jericho is this rich, flourishing town because it's a popular trade route. So there's a lot of money in Jericho. It's a rich town. And so this would have been a really popular uh, location for a tax collector to live. And so then enters Zacchaeus. He's a chief tax collector. So not only is he just a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector, which means that he's over uh, a, a group of tax collectors in this area. So he's kind of a supervisor of this guy, of these guys, which meant that he was very, very rich. And the tax collectors in those days, they, they were not popular guys. They were Jewish people who had decided to work for the Roman government to collect taxes from their own people, from the Jewish people. So because of that, they were not very popular. And they were, they were really seen as traitors and social outcasts. And so the Roman Empire, in order to finance their world empire, they would levy these heavy taxes on all nations that were under their control. 
And the Jews, of course, opposed these taxes. They didn't want to pay taxes to Rome, but also because it supported the Roman government, which worshiped pagan gods and not the one true God. And so these tax collectors, they would often abuse their authority by levying even higher taxes to make more money. So whatever the Roman Empire required, these tax collectors would require more and just keep the excess for themselves. And so they were making a lot of money and they were becoming rich. And so that's why they were seen as traitors. And that's why they were really seen as the lowest level of society. In spite of that, in spite of Zacchaeus's occupation, besides the fact that he was rich for making all this money off of the Jewish people, he wanted to see Jesus that day. He wanted to see who Jesus was. And already in these first three verses, we're, we're seeing some labels that Zacchaeus has given. And the first one is that he's a chief tax collector. That's his occupations. That's one of his labels. He's a chief tax collector. Also, we're, we're seeing that one of his labels is the fact that he's rich in and of itself isn't a bad thing. But the fact that he earned his money the way he did by fraudulently taking it from the Jewish people was something that was looked down upon. Spiritually, he was a seeker. He wanted to see who Jesus was. And this last one, I had to think of the nicest way that I can put it. But he's vertically challenged, right? It says that the crowd was too big for him to see over top of the crowd because he was small in stature, so he was vertically challenged. And so as we start to look at the labels that Zacchaeus is living his life with, it should start to hit home a little bit, right? Because one of his labels is because of his occupation. We carry labels because of what we do for a living. His status in life, he was rich. We carry labels based off the fact whether we're uh, rich, poor, whatever we have, whatever our status is. He carried a label because of his physical appearance, because he wasn't very tall. So that should start to hit home. We should be able to, to sympathize with Zacchaeus a little bit as we go through this story, because we all carry the same type of labels. Let's continue reading in verse 4. It says, So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And so this must have been pretty surprising, pretty shocking for this Jewish crowd that was there that day to see Jesus, their Messiah, their Savior, stop and, and call Zacchaeus down from the tree and said that he wanted to spend time with him. This man they saw as a sinner as a traitor, as the lowest of lows, but that's who Jesus chose to spend time with. They must have been shocked by that. And this is the only place in the Gospels, in the life of Jesus, where Jesus actually invites himself to be someone's guests. And it's not really a, a question, is it? He doesn't really say, hey, Zacchaeus, do you think it might be okay if maybe I came to your house today and, and spent a little time with you? No, he tells Zacchaeus to come down from the tree. He says, I must stay at your house today. Jesus is being intentional about going after Zacchaeus. He's being intentional about spending time with Zacchaeus. In spite of what Zacchaeus had done, in spite of the way that Zacchaeus had made his money and what he did for a living, Jesus wanted to spend time with him. And so this must have been a little bit surprising for Zacchaeus because he was simply hoping to see Jesus that day. He just wanted to see who Jesus was, and now he's going to be spending one-on-one -on -one personal time with Jesus. He's getting way more than he bargained for. And you would have thought because of what he did for a living and the fact that, that the people saw him as a traitor, he might be a little bit nervous about spending time with Jesus. He might be a little bit nervous about Jesus coming to his house. 
He was rich. He probably had a pretty nice house, had a lot of possessions, a lot of belongings. Maybe he, he might have been a little bit worried about the questions Jesus, Jesus would ask. Where did you get all this? How did you afford this house? But instead, the passage says that Zacchaeus welcomes him joyfully. When we define that word out joyfully, it literally means rejoicing or cheerful or happy. He wasn't worried at all about what Jesus was going to think. He just wanted to spend time with Jesus. And so in that part of the passage, we see another label that Zacchaeus carried. And the people in the crowd that day gave this label to Zacchaeus. They called him a sinner. So those are the labels that he carried. He was the chief tax collector. He was rich. He was a seeker. He was vertically challenged. And he was a sinner. Those are the labels that Zacchaeus had to live with. Those are what he walked around with every single day. Let's continue reading in verse 8. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So Zacchaeus was changed by his encounter with Jesus. He's starting to show an inward change through an outward action. He wants to start giving half of all that he has to the poor. And if you think about that, he's a rich man. This is a huge commitment that Zacchaeus is making, that he's going to give half of all that he has to the poor. That's a huge commitment. But also he goes on to say that he's going to repay back uh, anything that he's earned fraudulently fourfold. Now we have to remember that Zacchaeus was a Jewish man. So he'd have been familiar with the Jewish law, which they followed the Old Testament law. And there was Old Testament law that spoke specifically to this, how to make restitution when you had wronged somebody. So let's take a look at the book of Numbers, chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. And it, it addresses this specific issue, how to make restitution when you've wronged somebody, when you've taken something from somebody. Numbers chapter 5, starting in verse 6. This is God speaking to Moses. It says, speak to the people of Israel when a man or woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord and that person realizes his guilt. He shall confess his sin that he has committed and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him to whom he did the wrong. And so you're supposed to confess the sin you made. You're supposed to pay it back in full and then give a fifth on top of that. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to confess what I've done wrong. I'm going to pay it back in full, but I'm also going to pay it back fourfold. So he is going way above and beyond what the law called him to do. And so Jesus realizes this, and and Jesus realizes that there has been a a change in Zacchaeus' heart. And and that would get Jesus' attention, and, and that Zacchaeus had become a changed man, and meeting Jesus had switched his motivations and desires in life. I think it's so interesting that we're reading this story in Luke 19 because just one chapter earlier in Luke 18, there's a story of, of another rich man, just like Zacchaeus. He was a rich man. And this rich man came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus goes on to list off some of the, the Ten Commandments that they would have followed from the Old Testament law. And the rich man says, I, I followed these from the time of my youth. And then Jesus said, well, there's one thing that you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when the rich man heard that, he was sad because he was driven by his money. He was driven by his possessions and the fact that he was rich and he didn't want to give that up. 
And so he was sad and he wasn't able to do that. And so Jesus and, and his disciples go on to have this conversation about how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says this phrase, he says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so from Luke 18, what this rich man wasn't able to do, Zacchaeus was able to do. Once he met Jesus, the impossible became possible. The thing that, that the rich man from Luke 18 wasn't able to do, Zacchaeus was able to do. Because when he met Jesus, his heart and his life were changed. And so he was able to do the impossible through God. Let's continue reading Luke 19, verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So because of the change that Jesus sees in Zacchaeus' life, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. To this house. The house where the lowest of lows lived, according to society. Where dirty money had purchased all of his possessions. A man who sold out to work for the Romans. A man who stole from his own people, the Jewish people. Why would salvation come to this house? Why would salvation come to this man? Well, it's because Zacchaeus was exactly the kind of person that Jesus came to earth for. It says it in verse 10, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus wasn't just there for nice Jewish people who followed all the commandments. No, he was there for the sinners, the ones whose lives were messy, the ones whose society kicked around. Not only that, he was seeking them. He didn't just sit around and wait. He was intentional about finding these people. He approached Zacchaeus and invited himself to spend time with Zacchaeus. Jesus showed us that his love and grace are big enough and great enough to cover any failure, to, to cover any sin or any sin, any wrongdoing or misstep in life. And so now because of his experience meeting Jesus, Zacchaeus has a new label in his life. And that label is saved. He had received salvation. And I love that Jesus already knew Zacchaeus' name. Did you catch that early in the story? He just told Zacchaeus to come down from the tree. He didn't have to ask his name, who he was, or, or what he did. Jesus already knew. He was fully aware. We have to remember the words of, of Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16 that say, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. So the reason why Jesus already knew Zacchaeus is because Jesus had created Zacchaeus. He knew the full potential that Zacchaeus had in his life to be a generous man because he was the one who formed Zacchaeus in his mother's womb. Jesus didn't get caught up in the labels that the world had given Zacchaeus because of his career or because of his physical attributes. Jesus focused in on who Zacchaeus truly was, the potential that was inside of Zacchaeus, because he is the one who put those qualities and characteristics and potential into the very nature of who Zacchaeus was. The world, the culture of that day, the, the Jewish people were not Zacchaeus's label maker. That job belonged to Jesus and Jesus alone. And so now there was only one label that mattered in Zacchaeus's life, and that was saved. The fact that he had found salvation. 
Zacchaeus met Jesus and his life was changed forever. And the same goes for us in our lives as well. There's only one person who has the right to label us, and that's Jesus. Just like Zacchaeus, God created us, intricately wove us together, and made us who he desires us to be. And so if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your identity is the same as Zacchaeus. You are saved. That's what your identity is in Jesus. And the Bible goes on to to talk about some other labels that we carry as people who are saved, who have found salvation in Jesus. So I want us to take a look at some of those. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, In him we have found redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And so if we have been saved, we are forgiven. We are pardoned. We are delivered of our sins. In John 8, it says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. When we define that word free out, it means to liberate or to be unrestrained. Uh, We are not a slave. And so if you are saved, you're forgiven, and you are free. John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13 says, but to all who, who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So if you're saved, you're a child of God. That means that we carry his name, we carry the name of our creator. We carry the name of Jesus. First Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. If you're saved, you're part of a royal priesthood. You've been chosen. You've been set apart. You are God's possession. You belong to him. And this is my favorite one. Romans chapter 8, verses 37 to 39. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we're not just a conqueror. We are more than conquerors. Because spiritually speaking, the victory has already been won. And I love the way Paul writes this because he he lists out pretty much anything that we could ever face in life. Good times, bad times, no matter how difficult the circumstance, how great of a time we are having in life, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Jesus. So because of that, we are more than conquerors. Those are the labels that I want to hold on to in my life. Not what other people say about me. Not what the world says about me. Not what our culture says about me. I want to hold on to these. I don't want to worry about the fact that I was shy growing up because in Jesus, I'm free. I don't want to worry about the fact that I was known as a a pastor's kid because more importantly than that, I'm a child of God. And I don't want to worry about the fact that, that I was a good kid and, and I was worried about making mistakes or messed up because I'm part of a Royal priesthood. And I don't want to worry about the fact that I'm a pastor and certain expectations come with that because I'm a conqueror. Those are the labels I want to live my life by. And if I'm going to set any goals for 2018, if I'm going to set any New Year's resolutions for 2018, I want to be motivated by these things. I want to be motivated by the labels that that God has given me, that Jesus has given me through his blood on the cross. That's what I want to be motivated by. And that's my prayer for you as well. Don't worry about what the world has said about you, the names that they've called you the things that they've said because of your physical appearance or because you don't have enough money or a big enough house or whatever it may be. 
Trust in the labels that Jesus has given you. Because the only one worthy of labeling you is the one who labeled the sun, the moon, and stars. The only one worthy of labeling you is the one who created you. The only one worthy of labeling you is the one who gave his life so that you could have new life. No other opinion, no other negative comment, no accusation, no name that's ever been given to you, no Facebook post, no tweet, or self-inflicted label can compare to the label that your creator has given you. And so I'm going to go back to the big idea that I mentioned earlier in the, in the message that the world may try to label you, but God created the world and only his label defines your true identity. Why would we worry about what the world has to say about us when God created the entire universe? If he wanted to get rid of the universe, he could do it just like that. Why wouldn't we trust in what he has to say about us more than what the world has to say about us? I love what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. This is not going to be on the screen. It's from the New Living Translation. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. I don't always feel like God's masterpiece, do you? Another version says that we are his workmanship, but I don't always feel that way. But if we think about the creation story and you look at each day of creation, God goes back each day of creation and he says what? That it's good. And then when he creates man, what does he say? He says, it's very good. You are the point of God's creation. You are his masterpiece. That is his label for you. It's not about what the world says about you. It's not about what someone called you when you were growing up. It's not about uh, insecurities or doubts or fears that we have about ourselves. It's about who we are in Jesus Christ. And we are bought by Jesus' blood, and we are made new through him. And so because of that, we are children of God. We are heirs. That's who we are. That's what our label is. That's what defines us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this story of Zacchaeus. Lord, we thank you that uh, we can be reminded that in life we do all carry labels. We're defined by something. And we can either let that be a negative or we can trust in the label that you have for us. The fact that when we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are saved. So God, we thank you for the lessons that we can learn from this story. And Lord, the fact that when we meet Jesus, when we experience Jesus in a real and authentic way, that our lives are changed forever. God, we thank you for that. And I pray for each person in the room today, as we're starting this new year, that, that we would we'd really take a look at our motivations for if we're setting goals or whatever we're doing as we're looking at this year, God, that it would be driven by your purpose for our lives, not anything else. Lord, I thank you for this church, for First Alliance Church. I know that you have placed us in this place, in this community, at this time for a purpose. And as we take up this offering, I just pray that this money would go to further your kingdom here to support the ministries that we are doing here in this place as well as in our community. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.